I'm preaching the fifth in your series called Reach, and it's, it's the C of Reach, and it's called Chatting. Uh, I've never been asked to preach a message called Chatting, and uh, it was actually Andrew Wilson that asked me, so I took it seriously. Uh, and as I got into it, I thought, this is just so exciting. And uh, I'd like to read the scripture, and then I'll pray, and then we're also going to pray at the end for courage and for wisdom, uh, and I'm really trusting God that we're going to have a great time together this morning. So if you join me, please, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, we'll read from verse 7, and we'll go through to verse 23, John 4, verse 7. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock, his cows and goats and pictures of goats. And... Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me some of this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where we should worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you came from heaven to earth, from the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. You have poured out your Holy Spirit on your people, and you are calling us to be your body on earth, to be your witnesses. That you said to your first disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Lord, I pray that the result of this morning's message would be this church moving into an influence of salt and light in this city that is greater than it was before this message is preached. I pray for an equipping of the saints 
to do the works of ministry, that this would be a church full of living stones, every single one participating in action, equipped. Lord, thank you for the vibrancy of this church and the plans that you have for London, for this nation, and for nations beyond as you build King's Church. Have your way with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a remarkable uh, interaction between two people by any account, uh, even on the level of just a Jewish man speaking to a Gentile woman. It's a remarkable interaction. And when you consider it as the creator of the universe, which is now estimated at three trillion galaxies, and every galaxy having billions or trillions of stars, the creator of the universe engaging with this woman of five husbands, and the husband she now has not actually her husband, it's a remarkable engagement. But in some ways, it's just a chat. It's just a talk over the need for water. And what is remarkable is how Jesus uses that moment of familiarity, of mundane, to result in eternal difference and reach her heart. And I'd love to point out three things that he does that I hope you're going to be able to say, I can do that. I can really put that into practice in my life. And uh, these three things are very obvious from the reading of the text, but they are actually very challenging to do ourselves. And uh, we're going to watch a clip at the end of this message by one of our very own in the Beckenham site. I called it Beckenham twice and Bellingham once, and they didn't like it when I called it Bellingham. But uh, one of our very own, Colin, in the Beckenham site did this clip, and I think it earths it so beautifully for um, London, and then we're going to sing a song, and we're going to sing about not backing down and stepping out and going for it. So the first thing is in the first verse we read, John chapter 4, verse 7, there came a woman from Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And this is the first point that he initiated. Jesus took initiative. He acted with intentionality. He broke boundaries. He got off his uh, cultural stool and made a move towards the other person. And that is actually a big deal. It will have broken cultural norms on that in that day, a man and a woman in public, don't know each other, would not have related. And as the text says, he was a Jew and she was a Gentile. Jews didn't talk to Gentiles, even if it was across the sex barrier. And Jesus breaks through these and he says to her, give me a drink. He is intentional. He takes initiative. And uh, I wonder what drove him to do that. Can anybody suggest what may have driven Jesus to break through those barriers and make that comment? Yes, sir. Love. He had love for this person that broke barriers. Very good. I'd give it 85%. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Compassion. 
another 85. Definitely right. Purpose. What purpose are you thinking? Very good. He had a purpose to draw her closer to God. Very, very good. Salvation. His purpose is salvation. This is going better than Beckenham, I have to tell you. We're in the 85, 90, 95s. There's one word I'm looking for. Fulfill his ministry. You're knocking on the door of my word. Eternal. Were you in the morning meeting? (laughs) What did you say at the back? Mercy. Absolutely. All your answers are absolutely right. The word that I have in my notes is eternity. The scripture says that God has set eternity in the hearts of every man. Jesus looked at this person and didn't see Samaria, didn't see she is a woman. He saw she is an eternal being created in the image of God. And this person in front of me will spend eternity in one of two places, either eternal life in this kingdom of light with perfect relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everyone else who's there, and there will be no tear and no crying and no pain, or they will spend eternity apart from God, and there is no way back. As Jonathan Edwards said, the worst thing about hell and eternal separation of God is there is no hope. You can't even say after a hundred billion years of being in hell and separation from God, there is going to be a way through. It is forever and ever. And surely this is a motivation in Christ that breaks the boundaries. Surely it is the motivation that took him from heaven to earth, the author of life, perfect in holiness, to, as the scripture says, become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus is not clouded by whether it's Theresa May or Cameron or Corbyn or Merkel or Mugabe or Munangagwa or Nero or whoever's in power. He is not muddled by these things because he says all these problems pale into insignificance compared to the real issue, which is where are you going to be for all eternity? The Word of God says that on that day, the only thing that counts is faith expressed in love. That's all that's going to count. And A-levels are important, and your job is important, and paying the rent is important, and Brexit is important. They all have their place, but far second behind The grand narrative, which is seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus was motivated by the reality that every single person is created in the image of God. He created us. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, let us create man in our own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
This is God calling himself us. This is him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creating the spirit of man. And Genesis 2, it says he forms man out of the dust of the earth and breathes into him, and he becomes a living being. He didn't do that to the dolphins and the amoeba and the chimpanzees. and the, he, he is an intimate relationship. And as we watched the clip just now, it shows the millions of people going through the tube station in London and the power and the wealth and the population. And every single person is an eternal being made for relationship with God. What a pure motivation. The second one is interesting as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he'd have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than Jacob? A little bit later on, he says, "Um, The water that I give will well up and become in him the spring of water, welling to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I will not be thirsty again. There is a relating. Jesus not only initiated, but he related to her. Time would have gone like that. They were talking about something relevant for this woman, water. She'd have walked quite a long way to get the water. She'd have thought, how's she going to draw it? Maybe she was a shepherdess. Water was obviously important. And Jesus starts talking to her about water. But as he's talking to her about water, he weaves in things of the gospel, things of eternity. And he starts to win her as he's relating to her. And this is an art. It's something we must practice. It's something we must develop, that we're able to talk to people and be interested in their lives. So what do you think about this? I love it on the road to Emmaus. Jesus, who's God, he knows everything. He can tap into his deity at any moment. Says to them, much like he said to the lady, give me some water, I'm thirsty. He says to them, what are you talking about? I mean, he he can know what they're talking about. But he puts himself in an attitude of humility. What are you talking about? They say, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what we're talking about? They say, no, go on, tell me, what, what? He draws them out on current affairs. If I lived in this country, I would definitely use Brexit as an angle. I definitely, so, so what do you think about Brexit? Oh I, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Then I just sit there and say, I, I've, I've, honestly, I've lost all hope in politicians. And I've lost all hope in economics as well. A person might say, oh, yeah, that's terrible. Are you hopeless? So funnily enough, I've never had more hope in my life. Where, where is this hope? Give me this hope. Say, so I have a hope that nothing on this world, nothing on planet Earth, will fix the problem of human nature. I think it takes God. My hope is actually in God. I believe we're eternal beings. And you can say things that you think people don't understand, but if it's the Word of God, it gets in. Jesus says things like, To him, it will well up as a spring to eternal life. Jesus, give me some of that. She's a Gentile woman. And we sometimes think we've got to explain everything perfectly and have it all lined up. For me, my hope is in Jesus because he is the only one who has claimed to be God and has overcome the grave and ascended to heaven. It's just your testimony. You just say it to the person. For me, it's Jesus. 
because he's the only one who's claimed to be God and has overcome death. I can't understand anybody putting their faith in anyone or anything other than Jesus. I mean, really, I'm not saying that as an example. I'm saying that is, that's my testimony. To relate to one another can sometimes be a cultural challenge. And I know that this is not true for all in Britain. But certainly there are some who have a Britishness that doesn't want to relate. And uh, I follow only about 10 people on Twitter. One of them is Steve Tibbet. But one of them is very British problems. I don't know if you've come across this. And the the couple that came recently, we should have lunch sometime. Translation, just say yes, walk away, cross your fingers, and hope you never meet again. (laughs) And another translation. This is a woman holding a phone. Uh, they've, They've just stepped away from their desk for a minute. Can I take a message? Translation, they're staring at me right now saying, no. And I... In every culture, there are tendencies to isolate. And one of the powers of social media is that it plays into the fact that we're made in the image of God. We're made to engage. We're made to hear and to like and to share and to participate together. But it also can isolate. And we need to be aware that in big cities, which are very technologically connected, We have to keep in each other's face, engaging, relating, talking, knowing each other, asking questions, and sharing our lives. And the third one, Jesus says in verse 16, and uh, the first two have been tough. He initiated and he related, but the third is the toughest and the most exciting. He said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. He said, you're right, saying, I have no husband, for you have had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. This is the amazing thing, that in the midst of his initiating and his relating, he depended on the Holy Spirit. And so for Jesus, this wasn't just a chat about water where he was able to show some of his knowledge of Scripture. He was looking to the Holy Spirit for, God, what are you saying to this woman? Holy Spirit, show me what is in her heart. And it is amazing to me how it is always, God is always drawing people to himself. I love it when Steve goes into his Pentecostal mode, and as the worship team's going, he says, you are over every situation and over every sin. Great is our God. Sam with a little bridge and playing there and, and the guy on drums doing so well. And Shireen, what a worship band. Can we give them a hand? I love the worship in this church. Absolutely beautiful. And I love it. Steve goes, you know, you are over every situation and over every sin. And it's true. And as we, as we ask God, what are you saying to this people, this person? Do you know he will never be condemning? Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
There is never a situation where God is looking at a certain person and going, Ooh, oh, awful, awful. He became sin for us. That in Him we may be the righteousness of God. That is His agenda, to save. And so when we say, God, what are you saying to this person? We can open our heart to God. What is the love that you are sharing? What is the grace? How are you wanting to communicate that to this person? I remember praying for a person as I prepared for this message, actually. And she's not a believer. And I said, may I pray for you? She said, yes. And I prayed for her and I said, Father, thank you for the tenderness in this heart and desire to know the truth. I pray that she would know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that she would come to the joy of not knowing truth as an abstract written thing, but a living relationship with the living God. Amen. To this moment... I'm not aware that she has become a Christian, but it was the appropriate thing to do to pray for her in that situation. And Jesus did different things for different people. I love the one he did with the Canaanite woman. He did exactly the same. He initiated, but it was in a, in a naughty kind of way. She was crying out to him, help me, my daughter has a demon. Oh, son of David, help me. And he saw she had faith, and his disciples didn't. So the way he initiated was he ignored her, and he let her cry out more and more until she became a pain. And they said, shall we take this lady away? And he said, he pretended that he was on the disciple's side. He said, the, the bread that is for the children should not be fed to the dogs. I was like, yeah, good one, Jesus. Yeah, we're the Jews, we're the chosen race. That's right, the bread for the children should not be shared with the dogs. But he, all he was doing was setting them up and setting her up. And she goes with all her humility and all her faith and says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table of the children. And I love what Jesus says. He says, oh, woman, what great faith. He, he's just chatting to her. She's got a problem. Somebody's sick. But he uses the moment. He relates to her on things that she's understanding. We are below the, the Jews. But he turns it around. He listens to the Spirit. And he draws out faith. And that is the conclusion of this story as well. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming where worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Believe me. The goal of our chats is that people will grow in faith. And I love this clip that we're about to watch now. I think it's done absolutely superbly. It's a cry to Jesus for his ability in us to have conversation that is seasoned with salt, that the result of our interactions with people would be that they come to greater and greater faith. 